0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Art City Radio, a podcast about art, architecture, and the urban landscape. This is Mary Louise Schumacher. We are now in the second week of a season of episodes centered on the theme of place. The Art City contributors and I have posted a collection of essays about underloved parks. The Milwaukee Comma Photography Collective has taken over my Instagram account, too. Their very first images are flora-like, industrial, invasive, and surreal. For more on this place-related project, you can always go to the Art City page. You can find that at jsonline.com artcity. This week's podcast stories are tied together, if loosely, by the theme of childhood. Our first piece is a reflection on the slippery nature of meaning in public art. Here is Art City Radio producer, Adam Carr.
1: This is a story about a single mural and its relevance to two artists. Eddie Villanueva, who grew up near the mural at Sixth and Oklahoma, and Ronaldo Hernandez, probably the city's most prolific muralist. For one artist, it's about the texture of his childhood. For the other, it's about a critical moment in Milwaukee's history.
2: That was way back in 1983. That was my first community mural. Tension was high. Michael McGee was in the news, and I picked the, the theme of uh, racial unity, that we get along together, regardless of our uh, ethnic background. The wall was like over 100 feet long. It sloped on each end pretty high, so it was a huge, uh, conspicuous mural. I used symbols. I used uh, American Eagle, symbol of America, in, in the center, and a little kid with long hair, blonde hair. And a little black kid on the other hand, and then there was two adult hands shaking hands as unity in, in the middle underneath the, the chest of the eagle. And in the background was a horizon line which symbolized uh, Lake Michigan or Milwaukee lakefront. And the two kids were smiling, looking at, out at the, at, the, at the street, at the people driving by.
3: All right, so we're crossing the parking lot at Walgreens on 6th and Oklahoma. It's a beautiful sunny day. I would always see it from that corner, so either walking past it, uh, going um, to McDonald's or going to whatever that pie shop was, or I
2: could see it uh, in the distance slightly when we would be at the record store. Really the murals came out of uh, the modern mural movement, came out of the riots and the black and brown ghettos in Chicago and California. With the strikes and brought out people's concerns people that didn't have an an audience to to express their ideas so murals was part of it
3: it was like i assumed that a city or a neighborhood had art in it you know what i mean because that's exactly what my neighborhood was
2: some of the people at the time didn't like the little black kid on the south side on the wall even though he wasn't a threat but to them it was a threat in their minds even when high school students were working Cars would drive by and say racial slurs at the kids, and they would. I would be working to myself in the evening, and they would say, get the N-word off the wall.
3: It seemed like these things just sort of manifested. They just were, you know, that nobody made them, that they were just on such a grand scale that they just became into the city, you know?
2: Because back then, if you were a person of color and you worked on the south side, you would work in the factory or the... The company and you had to get on the bus and get out of town and get out of Dodge before nightfall came. Otherwise you'd be in trouble. That's how it was back then. And so even after the mural was done and sealed, uh, it was graffitied with paint splashed on it and white power was put on it. The wall was could have been a, a hotbed for for attention in the city but the city of milwaukee came in the evening at that night before the next morning before the media could see it and put it on tv and they uh, power washed it off all the all the graffiti
1: both eddie and ronaldo were part of a discussion among artists earlier this year
2: i got there a little late and it was a round table with artists and it was a guest artist from uh, california
1: the artists were gathered to talk about murals. And everybody was introducing himself around the table. Because Ronaldo was late and didn't have a chance to introduce himself. Many of the artists there including Eddie, didn't realize who he was. Eddie was talking about, yeah, when I was young, I remember my first mural was on, I lived around 6th in Oklahoma.
3: These, these murals, they were painted to kind of be these cool cheesy things uh, that were supposed to, you know, lift the spirits of the neighborhood or something like that. So he called it a cheesy
2: mural, and then I was like two people away from him. Then when I turn came, I raised, I said, well, that cheesy mural, I'm the artist that did that cheesy mural. Eddie's face dropped and like, Yoo! He said, "Oh!" I then I explained how it really wasn't cheesy, the, the history behind it, how it had significance, and so we're we're good friends now. But it was funny at the time.
1: Everybody's like, "Whoa!" And I was there to say everyone was stunned is an understatement. In the moment, Eddie's words really felt like an insult. But I also know Eddie, and I knew that he had a long-standing personal connection, like a fascination with that mural. That mural in particular.
3: After my parents got divorced, uh, my mom uh, got custody of us, and we moved to Ninth in Oklahoma. So, like, literally down the street from that uh, mural and Sixth in Oklahoma, and um, it just was part of like my periphery and just part of my environment. And it was just a um, a sort of amazing thing that, like, it was it was like. I was very young when I first um, started recognizing these things like creative output and how like I wanted to be a part of that or do something like that and that those things were the um, entry points for my entire creative practice like the entire like starting point for what eventually turned into my emerging artist career and um, it was very starkly contrasted when uh, in I think uh, third grade my mom moved us out to Wawatosa that there was just nothing like that there was no culture there was no um, sort of environment everything was very sterile I mean albeit like the the contrast then was or um, like the trade-off was then that it was a much uh, like nicer neighborhood as far as like um, uh, just safety and Uh, You know, we didn't have to worry about drug dealers beating the shit out of our neighbors or anything like that. And it was it was this weird uh, situation where I was then transported into this other place and immediately labeled as like a um, Mexican like inner city kid, even though like I really wasn't like I just I was just, you know, I didn't know what even that meant. But like suddenly that it, it changed from those murals and those neighborhoods being just in my periphery and in my environment to suddenly a uh, an identifier that kids who didn't really, or just like getting to know me, that was what they immediately associated with me was like this kind of like rough neighborhood. So I kind of, once I was out of that and transported into the suburbs, I kind of held on to it, but then it started taking on like a different Role that it was
1: like a characteristic of me as a person, or something like that. Not only did Ronaldo's mural figure into the way Eddie defined himself as a young person, it was relevant to his decision to become an artist.
3: To uh, talk about how I maybe developed as an artist myself, something that always was present to me in my mind of like what I wanted to do was something that like impressed itself upon the viewer because, um that's what i found so incredible about these works like not just these uh, paintings on uh, uh oklahoma but then also things like the uh you know the giant eagle they uh demanded uh your attention and really broke up the landscape you know and uh i thought that that was something that was really uh amazing that i always wanted to do or at least wanted to uh kind of get to the bottom of this thing where I just, I like, you know, the murals, like other things such as uh, uh, cathedrals when I went to Italy for a study abroad that was really an affecting uh, experience. These, these things that are so grand and so, um, you know, in your face, larger than life, seem like they couldn't possibly... Be made by a person, or couldn't be the you know result of a vision of of, of one person. And I guess that's what like that's one of the points of that that sort of work is that it is so grand that it 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 attempts to uh, get to you in that odd sort of uh, um, place in your experience.
1: The mural was painted over many years ago. Children who grew up in Eddie's old neighborhood today. See white retaining walls with a curved top bits of paint peel away sometimes, revealing patches of color since then, I had well over a hundred murals
2: done in different cities throughout Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and so they they 're kind of like my they 're like your kids, except i don 't visit them I, if, I was, <laughs> if I was a dad, i wouldn't be that good because I, I go on to the next one, yeah, but I, yeah, and it 's better that way When you do see it say, "Wow, that looks pretty good, so a lot some of them are. Are not around after 20, 30, 40 years. Things change. The average life of a mural is like 10 years. Building gets sold. Things will happen. And
3: these spaces, they, you know, they might mean something to somebody. The artist might have a really directed intention with the work, but then the viewer like the the kid that doesn't really know about that social like whatever thing that the 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 artist is trying to get to the core of takes it in a different way and i know that those paintings are still underneath all this white wall even though now they are very you know functional and bland and the neighborhood you know it's changed it ha it doesn't look the same as when i was a kid but those things that memory that 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 mark on the surface that history it's still here it's just buried underneath the surface and that's what i think is really interesting the sort of uh uh layers on a city that build up and how certain people at certain times um hold on to certain uh views of that neighborhood so you know the kids that grow up in this neighborhood now won't have that same experience but they'll have a different experience and it'll be as meaningful to them in a different way and my experience just happened to be this really wonderful creative landscape and this this point where you know i was i was learning and i was coming into my own as a you know a human and i i I think that even though these things are whitewashed over i think it's great that it still resonates with me and that i can come here and peel the paint and still see that it is there it's just not on the surface anymore it's it's within the surface
0: Tiana Bowie's childhood was a churning cycle of homes, places, and social workers, of living with relatives and foster parents in turns. It was a time of leaving things behind in school lockers and bedrooms that never seemed entirely her own. As an artist, Bowie makes marks from those memories in exquisite mixed media prints. Usually, there are empty passages, layered and indistinct moments in her work. We asked Bowie to reflect on the nature of her art, especially those missing pieces, by visiting the specific places of her childhood, many of which are here in Milwaukee. For some hours, she and Art City Radio producer Adam Carr drove and walked around, visiting her old haunts and old homes. She didn't always know the way, some places looked terribly unfamiliar, and some things surfaced in her memory. Here is a breeze through that morning's journey.
4: Oh, I guess we could take North 76th Street.
0: Continue on West Mill
4: Road for three quarters of a mile. Why is this thing tripping? Hold on. It should be going, well, we should be on, I don't want this map, I can't tell anything. Yeah. We're actually going to... Take a left up here. I think that's it right there. Is that 3529? That's 5529. What the heck? But this is 30th Street. That is it. I remember when my aunt moved into this house, I was like, this is the most hideous house I've ever seen in my life. She was here for a while, and then she couldn't keep it. She couldn't hold on to it, so she had to sell it. It had like 20 rooms. It felt like 20 rooms. And she wasn't settled, so we couldn't be settled. She never thought about us, like, oh, they're going to have to like switch schools. It wasn't a priority for her. Look, there's a, there's a little boy. There's two little boys running really? out the house. There's life in the house. Hello. Living room, dining room, kitchen. What about all the rooms upstairs? Still upstairs. They're still the way. They're still that way. Yeah. Like there's no actual door. You no. Know. That was like my favorite part about this house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll have a good day. All right. uh, I like the rooms. They were weird. For a child, they were actually fun, because there was this first room. And then there was a room in the rooms, and that was my brother's room. And then far back in the other room was my aunt's room. It was very weird. Then there was this basement with this leftover army food. (laughs) We actually ransacked and opened it up, and it was like jelly, and it was like all kind of weird food that's whoever lived before here. Yeah. And when we were living here, there were not a lot of kids in this neighborhood. This was not this is not this was not a kid kid, kid friendly name. So I spent a lot of time actually on the front porch, just sitting on the front porch. So you see this little brown thing? That's new. Spring Park Homes, newly remodeled. We're not remodeled when I was We used to cross this street all so many times. Let me think about the timeline because I was yeah. here, because I wasn't here that long, but it was actually years later when I was in high school and we came back, actually, eighth grade, came back with my mom. If I was in Chicago for fifth grade, did not stay in Chicago, for where was sixth grade? I for sixth grade? That's what I really want to know. What? Where <laughs> did we go to Chicago? Chicago. Then we came here. See, it's crazy. It's a lot. I would literally have to ask my aunt. But, um, there we go. That makes sense. So it was around 97. Princess Diana died. <laughs> So, I have to think about pop culture as it pertains to, like, my background, which is crazy. So, um, and I think the hardest part about this experience for me was that I had a a best friend. Her name was Jacquees. I can't find her on Facebook either, but she was my closest friend. And I told my best friend, I said, I don't think I'll be back to school on Monday. It was a Friday. And we were on the bus and I said, I don't think like we're actually leaving. I wasn't sure. There was no warning. I couldn't go back to the school and clear out my lockers. I couldn't say bye to anyone else. I just told my, you know, best friend in confidence that I think I might be leaving. She's like, no, you're not. You'll be here Monday. You you won't be leaving. She never really said bye. And we actually left that like Sunday. I think about all those little moments. So I think about, I just think about isolation living here. There was like nothing here. <laughs> I don't think she, like, purposely was like, they're not going to go outside. <laughs> I like think she just didn't think about us being... When I talked to her as I got older, she said that she purposely... That she, I'm wrong. She purposely isolated us. <laughs> because the neighbors next door, they were able... So I'm in. I'm like 13, 12 and 13. They were our age, and they were able to have boys over when the, when their mom wasn't there. And so my aunt would call them fast. You're not going over those fast girls' houses. And so she purposely, she said, I did, I did go out of my way to make you guys look a mess and make, like, we, I didn't do your hair the prettiest and I didn't buy the prettiest clothes because I wanted to keep you from having sex at an early age and getting pregnant. And she did a very, very good job of that. I don't think it was evil intention, True. which is why I feel like, well, actually, she, I guess she did, she did us a favor. I should turn it off. Hey, what's up? DeanJensen.com D-E-A-N J-E-N-S-E-N Alright, call you back. In our case, we were, my mom was raising us, but she would leave us at, at random people's houses in Chicago. She would drop us off, and there's one place I thought we were there for a month, because I remember watching Little Shop of Horrors, and that's all I remember from that, that house. And then my older sister goes, no, we were there for a year. I was like, a year? I only remember one night. (laughs) Right. And this was a friend of my mom's that she dropped us off at the house. And when she dropped us off, she told her she'll be back. That's usually how it went. Mm -hmm. And then the aunt in Chicago, we stayed with her for like three years. Um, But she was the one who was abusive. I felt like we were only wanted for the money. Because we knew that money was attached to being a foster child. We would, get the, we would see the mail. So the mail would say, and in, you know, us being in the house all the time, you know, you become like a detective. And so you want to know what's going on in the real world. And so we would open the mail and we would see how much we were worth for this individual to have us in their house. And that's how we knew. And it was like $444 each child a month. And the reason why I know that is because when I went to college, the money started to come to us. It's funny because I feel like most people think when you're doing narrative-based work, and especially if you're coming from a personal place, they assume that it's because you're trying to get retribution or you're trying to solve a problem. And I think that that's a problem to assume because, no. (laughs) I'm not trying to solve a problem. It's just that as things come into my mind, I need to get them out. So if I'm 84 and I want to go back to a certain place in my childhood, I think that... It shouldn't be off limits because oh, you already dealt with your childhood. So I think that's weird. It's like that's like telling someone you already dealt with um, the, the aesthetic of things. Stop making things pretty. Are you done making things pretty? <laughs> Are you done making things grotesque? It's like well, that's just something. That's just a. To me, it's an endless well that I could dig into at any given moment. And when I feel the that, that I don't need to do it anymore, I don't want to do it anymore. I won't but I do want to, I feel like there's a lot of loose ends. Yeah. And not in just, not just in my life. I think in everybody's life, I'm just willing to go back and try to figure it out. Not everybody else is willing to do that. But I like that i I'm okay going there.
0: This has been Art City Radio, a podcast about art, architecture, and the urban landscape. This is Mary Louise Schumacher, I'm the art and architecture critic at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Art City Radio is produced by Adam Carr and myself. Our music is courtesy Milwaukee band Testarossa. As I mentioned, we are in the midst of a season of episodes centered on the theme of place. Home base for all of this is always the Art City page, which you can find at jsonline.com slash artcity.